The following podcast is a part of the Spin Studio Network. You know, I kind of have dedicated a lot of my 20s to figuring this stuff out and it's really been healing for me. I do think that, you know, my mother and father had their own trauma. It just never got resolved. They never sought help. And I feel like I'm trying to break generations of trauma and I'm proud of that because it's it's hard. Hello, sunshine, and welcome to She Was the Fire. It's time to stop dancing in the dark. Let's start your fire and ignite your spark. I'm your host, Courtney Mangan, and thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Today, I have another guest coming at you, and I'm so excited to actually share this episode because it was an episode swap. So today I have Revy Jane. And I did an episode on her podcast and she did one on mine. And I just love like all the discussions that we were having. So today we're actually focusing on toxic positivity, mindset, living with trauma and optimism. So Revy is like really honest and vulnerable in this episode. And I thank her so much for doing that because I think everyone's really going to get something out of this. But as always, before we get into the guts of the episode, quick call to action, make sure that you're following me on Instagram and at Courtney Mangan. Tag me if you're listening. And if you haven't already left a review on Apple, please do so. But before I do go any further, I do also just want to let you know there is a quick trigger warning for today's episode. Revy does discuss topics around her trauma, abuse, and also suicide. I will leave some helplines in the show notes if you do need some extra support. All right, let's talk about today's guest, Revy Jane Schultz. She is one of Australia's leading content creators, a speaker, and also has her own podcast, Empowered with Revy. Why I'm so drawn to Revy is how courageous she is with sharing her personal and professional life with her online community. And that's something that I'm really drawn to because that's what I feel is like a priority when I'm online as well. Revy has done a really great job of acknowledging her past and embracing a new brave direction to choose happiness over darkness. And she's such an inspiration as she was able to rediscover her worth and find her purpose. And I feel like although we have very different stories, I have had a similar kind of, I guess a similar kind of thing where it's like what has happened to me and my trauma has helped shape my purpose as well. And so the reason I wanted Revy on today was because she was actually the person that introduced me to the term toxic positivity and that whole discussion around toxic positivity versus optimism. And so I really wanted to share that today because it was really eye-opening to me when I heard this term. And even my producer, Adam, who sits in here on the episodes, he also said that when he heard it, it was quite eye-opening for him too. And I think it's a really great episode for everyone because some of us can be toxically positive to ourselves, to other people, and it's really hard to recognize sometimes. And so it's really important. So I think that you will get a lot out of today's episode. And I will also let you know, as I said, that today is an episode swap. So I did an episode over on Revy's podcast, Empowered with Revy, which you can also go check out on your favorite podcasting app. And I talk about pretty much from start to finish my cancer journey in what I think is probably my favorite episode that I've ever done in telling my story. Sometimes it's really hard to, I guess, open up about everything because I can be in different emotional states. It really depends on, you know, what the interviewer is asking me, my relationship with the interviewer. And a lot of times I've done podcast interviews where I haven't had a close relationship with the host, whereas obviously I know Revy really well. I'm the producer of her podcast. I sit in on all of her episodes where she's so vulnerable and open. So I feel quite connected to her on that. And so I think it just made for a really safe environment that made me say some things that I guess I haven't really talked about openly on my podcast or anybody else's podcast before. So I encourage you to go listen to that. Anyway, without further ado, let's bring in Revy. Hello. <laughs> you look like you're nervous. What's I happening? am. I am nervous. You have your own podcast. Why are you nervous? You know me. <laughs> <laughs> Always nervous. All right. So firstly, we kick off with my fire starter. This is a song that gets you motivated. What is yours today, Revy? It is by New Radicals. It's a bit of a throwback. Oh, I love a throwback. Uh, It's called Get What You Give. Oh, yes, I do know Yes, yes. I've just always loved that song. So if you're in a funk, hop in your car, windows down, 
Turn that up. I feel like I say this a lot on the podcast, but the singing in your car is just like the, oh, best, the best feeling. It is. You yeah. feel like you're a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> Hitting all the notes. Exactly. <laughs> um, all right. Mine is also a throwback. I'm going with Somebody Told Me by The Killers. Oh, yes. I love that the song. The killers are. Yeah. yeah. The killer, they were they I just feel like they they've gone it. down a oh. <laughs> Is it too early for fun? <laughs> That's a dad joke there if I've ever. Mom joke. Um all right, well let's ignite today's topic. So we're gonna cover a few things, but mostly I think toxic positivity is what we're gonna discuss today. And as always with every guest, I always talk about how we know each other. So how do we know each other, Revy? Well, I feel like we have quite a unique relationship. <laughs> yes. A unique connection. Um, and I think you must have been aware of me before yes. I met you. Yes. And the first time we met was during an interview that I was trying to dress to impress <laughs> and to be very Go cool. <laughs> very pro, very cool. <laughs> now you know. <laughs> you're not but, pro and you're not cool, is that what I'm yeah, supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I think, yeah, I was a, it was for the podcast to come into fruition and I met Sam and yourself and then I guess why it's so unique is that you know I think I with the podcast I had I've had my social media platform for so long but the podcast was where I really wanted to dive deep into my story and share a lot more of the behind the scenes and a lot more raw emotion so within the first you know 10 episodes of my podcast empowered where you're the executive producer you know everything about my <laughs> past and like a lot of information it's definitely a fast way to get to really know somebody yeah so you know i guess we were like hi nice to meet you and then in the Here's next episode i was like yeah i'm actually super traumatized <laughs> and still dealing with all of this and <laughs> You know, so it is a very unique situation, but um, I think, yeah, it's been really lovely getting to know you and to have you in my life and I've loved oh. following you and learning so much. So, yeah, that's how we know each other, I guess. Yeah, so obviously when we try to choose talent for the Spin Studio for our next lot of podcasts, we're always drawn to people who are really open with their life because the worst thing is when you have someone on a podcast and not willing to like share very much mm. and they're just kind of lecturing people what they should do but sure. not willing to give their own experiences and you were someone that we had seen on social media for quite some time and also we've done some work with your sister and it was like oh this girl like really opens up and she's very relatable and so that's kind of what we were drawn to that mm -hmm. you're like really honest about what's going on sure. you know because we had obviously the wild ones on the podcast and bloody lucy Overshares sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So we're like, we need more oversharers. We yeah, love that stuff. I'm definitely an oversharer. <laughs> I mean, takes one to know one. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into a bit more about you. So before we get more of your story, I do want to kind of preface this episode today by saying that neither of us have any qualifications. We are not professionals. And everything that we're talking about today is literally just from our own experience. We will be talking about like, obviously, mindset that leans into mental health. We're going to be touching on trauma and things like that. Um, but again, it's just our own things that work for us and experiences that we've had. Of course, you know, if you need more support and help, seek a professional, not mm -hmm. just advice from a podcast of people who are not qualified. <laughs> so this is just our own personal experiences today. All right. So let's take it back and just tell us a little bit about like who you are, where you grew up and what you do now. Yeah, sure. So I kind of liken my life to having a double life because the first part of my life, I'd say for the first 17 years, is so contrasted to the life that I lead today. So uh, most of my following know that I've had a very adverse childhood. So uh, growing up, there was a lot of, um, there was substance abuse and um, my father left when I was eight years old. And then later on, uh, I was just living with my mum and she started to show up less and less. And before I was 13 in year eight, she left home. And so it started off with just like weekly not being at home and then it it really um, transformed in her just kind of occasionally checking in. And this was a really difficult time. I mean, it's pretty obvious that that's a severe abandonment, but at the time it was just kind of the, the new norm. I had siblings that had grown up and left home. And so I just thought, I'm 13 now, this must just be it. And in a time where I could have really used some guidance and support and love because yeah. I was still very much a child, um, I was... 
I was an adult, like, and so was getting myself to and from school, four buses a day. Um, I would illegally work at 12 years old waiting on tables just to pay for bus fares, pay for food. Um, I fed, fed my pets every night and just, you know, basically was thrown into the deep end of adulthood. Um, wow. And But not not only the logistics of how difficult that was as a 13-year-old and managing myself and showing up to school and trying to <clears throat> navigate life, but I was left with so much unworthiness and so much abandonment and trauma. Which um, already probably started from your dad leaving at a young age. And yeah. Then yeah. continued on. Yeah. And it just, the narrative in my mind was that I'm unlovable and that's why I've been left alone. And this is what I deserve. Because even when they were home, there was a lot of abuse going on. There was sexual, emotional, physical, verbal, every type of abuse. And looking back on it now, I can understand that they, there was a lot of unresolved trauma from both of my parents and they were very living in their own kind of hell in their minds and they weren't able to parent anymore and unfortunately I was at the brunt of that so it was an adverse childhood to say the least and then I got myself I just the mission I had in my mind um particularly after a really large life event where I just decided that I didn't want to really exist anymore at 13 I had to go to rehab and really um I guess reassess what I was doing with my life and that I did want to be here at 13, like how does a 13-year-old even have that like I think you revelation <laughs> that you're like, what do I want to do with my life? Yeah. Like how do you? I think you, I hit rock bottom and when you hit rock bottom, you need to reassess and you need to reevaluate where you're going because there's there's only one way from there and that's, yeah, I guess I got this mindset that I just needed to finish school. I was like, you just have to finish school. You, you can do this. Like you can show up to school. You can get your senior certificate and then you will almost be an adult, an actual adult, and you'll have a license. And like, I just grew, I just fixated on that. And so I just kept on showing up and um, I used a lot of sport as motivation to get me there because I really had a huge love for sports and, um, and English. And yeah, I read heaps of books and just get, got myself there. And I, I, I don't know, I think there was, I don't know what it was, but I never really dived into drugs before I was 18 or anything like that, which I'm really grateful for because I could have just totally got off the rails yeah. having no sort of parental, parental yeah. guidance. Rules in your life. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. I would assume like obviously you had, you said you had siblings as well and they mm-hmm. had left the home because they were obviously older. That felt mm-hmm. like continuous more abandonment, even though that's not that what they were doing. That's exactly right. It felt like more yeah. people constantly leaving your life. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it, it fit the narrative that I'd started telling myself, unfortunately. And, you know, they had all of their own trauma to deal with. As I said, even when our parents were home, there was a lot of substance abuse and there was a lot of abuse on us. So we all had left with so much baggage and so much trauma to resolve. So in a way that was like each person just started escaping and, you know, my closest sibling is six years older than me. So I've always kind of pictured it like I've got three older siblings, but they they were all like a family unit of five. And then, you know, as my mother told me, I was a mistake at the end, the surprise six years later. So it really was like, They've done their job and they're like, okay, well, we get to sign off now. And I'm like, no, hang on, wait, you actually don't. (laughs) I'm still here. Yeah. So, you know, I I felt like a forgotten dog. That's what I felt like. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And you actually, you spoke about this yesterday when you were recording your own podcast, that that sort of experience, that ongoing trauma that you, it's obviously not one main event, it was like continuously Mm -hmm. ongoing is referred to as CPSD. Is that right? CPTSD, yeah. yes. And so that's what, like, I guess normal CTSD is when it's like an isolated event. Is mm-hmm. that right? And then mm-hmm. adding the C in front, is that like, yeah. what's the C stand for? The C stands for complex. So post-traumatic okay. stress disorder was what I was originally diagnosed with as well as anxiety. Um, but then looking into it more and working with my therapist more, we realised it was complex because the situations I wasn't I was talking about weren't the kind of two major life events that happened to me when I was a teenager, but more so the ongoing abuse that I endured and the abandonment, I guess, like the the neglect of those years from 13 through to 17, although no one was there with me, the neglect is emotional abuse because I'm not being nurtured and I needed to be nurtured. Yeah. So that neglect is the abuse that caused the CPTSD. Wow. And that's a relatively new 
term, is that yeah, right? Yeah, I think it's been coined in the last few years due to the uh, the specialists and researchers in um, psychologists, researchers in trauma. And I'm so grateful for the term because I, I ticked all the boxes for PTSD. I understood that I had that, but there was I felt like there was something else. Like I was like, there's got to be something else that I'm... And um, yeah, when CPTSD came out... I just understood on a whole new level that I had these stress responses and high cortisol levels and was so easily triggered. And once I was able to understand that I had CPTSD, I was able to seek further therapy um, techniques. So I've done EMDR therapy, which has been really, really helpful. And what does that involve? Um, it's it's really complex, actually. It's like, say you have all of these different types of filing cabinets. You have short-term memory, you have long-term memory, and then the trauma files is like the, the memory that just keeps repeating, and that's why we see patterns when people have been traumatised. That's okay. why they continue on the cycle of abusing people or seeking people that abuse them and see that as love. So it's like this like short circuit of like living, and they get stuck there, and that's what trauma is. You're just reliving the past, reliving, 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 and you you create that environment almost again for yourself, which is so sad, right? Like yeah. you've just come from that. Why would you create that again? Yeah. But if you understood that as love, then that's what you're going to seek. Okay, I see. So EMDR therapy was actually founded, I don't want to quote it, but I'm pretty sure from my understanding, it was uh, created by a woman who was going for a walk one day and she was thinking about the trauma that she had gone through. And on the pathway, she was looking from side to side and she had this rapid, uh, rapid eye movement and she kind of went into like the, the REM of like, a meditation okay. through the movement of her eyes. Um, and she essentially refiled that trauma from the trauma file, the one where you repeat and you continue the pattern, to the long-term memory. So she didn't wow. forget it, but it was now not a traumatising, triggering uh, okay. memory. And that's what I have done a lot of and it has really helped because I had certain parts of my childhood that I just would f – the, the trauma causes you, the, the post-traumatic stress causes you to relive that moment as if it's happening right now when you are triggered, regardless of whether you're in a safe environment, wh whether you're with your family in your home with this dream life that you've created, which was in my experience what I was going through. Like I had everything that I thought I could never have and yet I felt – so little. I felt like the little girl that had been left and that's fucked up. Wow. I think the easiest thing for the listeners if they and for me, if you don't understand trauma, I guess, is from what we see in the movies where it's like a soldier comes back to America and then they hear a, a car backfire mm. and it's a sound of like a shotgun or whatever mm. and then you see that they get the emotional experience or the response mm -hmm. physically and mentally that they're back in a war zone mm. just from that one little trigger even though they're in a safe environment that they're straight away like they're stressed and they're you know in that fight or flight mode straight away so it's I guess it's that same thing that you're recreating that environment even though you're not in it anymore yeah. the yeah. mental side of what was going on when you were in that environment is mm. that kind of yeah, easy way to understand it. That's yeah. it. And I think that it's really important to note that what I've learned about trauma, which I do a lot of reading and I've had lots of, you know, guests on my podcast exploring this topic, is that it looks different for everyone and that each of our kind of trauma responses can be so different. Some people completely disassociate, they go into freeze mode where they just are almost like floating above the situation and they it's like you're numb. You're like I I I'm stepping out of this situation and you're just not there anymore. And then there's obviously flight where you just run away from the situation. There's the fawn response, which is making sure everyone in the room is happy so that you avoid being hurt and you kind of self-sacrifice over and over again, which is what I tend to do most of the time. Um, and there's fight, which is to, you know, project and to get aggressive. Um, but, yeah, the EMDR therapy stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So it's like the reprocessing of a memory. It's really crazy to me. Like, obviously, I don't know heaps of about this stuff, but um, this is the first time I've heard of this. It's obviously like a, a physical thing that you're doing with your eyes. And also the tapping therapy is another Similar. physical yeah. thing. And it's so interesting how these physical movements mm. can trigger experiences and memories mm -hmm. in like the mental. It's it's yeah. really interesting. It is it? really interesting. Like, I find it fascinating. And um you know, I kind of have dedicated a lot of my 20s to 
figuring this stuff out and it's really been healing for me because I do think that, you know, my mother and father had their own trauma, unfortunately, and it just never got resolved. They never, ever sought help. And I feel like I'm trying to break generations of trauma and generations of cycles that, you know, and, I, and I'm proud of that because it's it's hard. It's really hard work. And I've asked you this before, so that cycle of abuse that we do know that, you know, like a dad that hits the wife, often then the son will end up doing it or like, you know, there's that cycle. Did you, has there been parts in your life now that you have two beautiful girls mm. that you have been worried that you will become your mother? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think even if you're quite healthy, you yeah, fear. We're all worried about becoming a mother. Shout out to my mum. <laughs> you know, um, and I think there's a healthy version of that. And there's, yeah, there's definitely, I mean, I think before I became a mother, that was a really big fear of mine. And then there's been a whole new level as I've been challenged and tested by kids that really, you know, if you've been parented by someone, you're going to have similar parenting styles. Because that's how it's been example for yep, you, right? That's right. You know, we learn, we learn and we take notes. And um, what's really important to understand is that with, you know, professional help with therapists, we can empower ourselves with the tools and the knowledge to break those cycles and to break those patterns. And that if you've been conditioned in a certain way, you can uncondition yourself and um, redefine what it means to, to parent. And I've like radically changed, obviously, what what I went through and how my mother parented, it was highly manipulative. Um, and I think it's been really important for me to, like I said, dedicate myself to the work. I, sometimes I'm like, fuck, I'm so tired. I yeah. don't want to do this shit. I, I, I wish I could just, you know, sign off. But in order for me to, to break the cycle, in order for me to really be the, the parent that I want to be, I've got to, there's a lot to undo. There's a lot to undo. And unfortunately, when you're a child and it was such a prolonged amount of time, like if, if you put it into perspective, I'm 30 now, 17 years. It was 17 years that I was more in that half, situation. More than exactly. half of your life. Exactly. So the work is necessary. And although I resent it sometimes, I'm also really grateful for the resources and the information that's out there. And I think that that's something obviously in on different scale, but it's something that I've mentioned in this podcast before because I get asked a lot about like, how do you stay mentally strong during going through, obviously I'm living my trauma live right now. Um, and it, it's my answer is always like, you can't just expect to be mentally strong. You have to show up and put the work in every single day. And, you know, last year I did so much work on my mental health. I was reading books, listening to podcasts, doing workshops, all these different things. And I was like, I just want to read a trashy yeah. novel and not worry about this, but it's like, no, I have to put the work in and read all of these like self-improvement books to get mm. me to this point because mm. you can't just expect change when all these things are happening to you. You have to be proactive with your mental health. Absolutely. And so, and it's a sacrifice. Yeah. It's a sacrifice of your free time and a lot of people choose not to do the work and that's, that's sad. And, and I, I think, think unfortunately if you put it off, it only yeah. is going to get oh, worse. It doesn't go absolutely. away. Yeah, it's suppression and um, it's just going to come out in, in uglier ways, in a projectile way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, so basically today's episode is because of this exact trauma that you've experienced. When you talked about this on your podcast and you, I think the episode was the mother wound mm -hmm. episode that you did where you talked about how you were trying to heal the past from what your mum had done mm -hmm. and that you were working through that. And obviously in that episode, you talked about your mum in, I guess, ways that weren't like, she's the greatest woman in the world. I love my mum. I love what she, happened to me, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. And there were some people who left you comments that were like, your mum did her best. You should just forgive her for what happened, not recognising but well, no, what she did was wrong and it's caused trauma for all of these years. Mm. Um, and you were getting what you then came in the week after and did an episode that you were like, oh, today I'm talking about toxic positivity. Mm. And I didn't know that's what you were going to do the episode on. And the minute you said it to me, it's not a term I had ever heard, yeah. but the minute you said it like 
I knew what it meant immediately because right. yeah. I was just like, from your that's own experience. Yeah. And it was like, that defines my whole life right now. You just said, is that a real term? And you were like, yeah, that's yeah. like a really well known term. Yeah. I was so surprised you hadn't heard that. And I was just like, what? Yeah. I think because I was working so much on myself, not much on what other people were mm. doing, that maybe the term hadn't come up in my yeah. like studies of me trying to. And it's help a liberating myself. thing to find a term that you are ex- like when you're experiencing something over and over again and you're like what is like this is a thing yeah and then you know obviously I've mentioned it in a topic and you've gone that's it yeah that's like, what well, I how that resonates with me I'll read a definition so that we've got exactly what we've you know the information here mm-hmm. um so toxic positivity is an obsession with the positive thinking it is the belief that people should put a positive spin on all experiences even those that are profoundly tragic toxic positivity is the assumption either by oneself or others that despite a person's emotional pain or difficult situation they should have a positive mindset and i think that why it was like oh my god there's a term for it was because i so often had said to people you know my mum is the t- perfect example of toxic positivity and she wouldn't be offended because I was constantly said her toxic positivity now to me <laughs> and she always says I know you don't want to hear this toxic positivity but <laughs> so but that's her coping mechanism yes. and so you know that's how she is and I understand that now and mm-hmm. she knows I don't want to hear but I know she needs to say it so we've got the relationship working now <laughs> okay. uh, we have a label for it that's helping but for me it always made me feel like when I was like I don't want to hear that fucking positive bullshit right now. It made me feel like, oh, there's something wrong. I'm a bad person kind of thing. So hearing this label and understanding there is healthy positivity Mm -hmm. and there is toxic positivity Mm -hmm. really made me feel like seen and heard. And it was like really important for part of my, thank you, Thank you, Remy, bringing it into my life. (laughs) Really important because having that label, as you said, you know, how they change you from PTSD to CPTSD, Mm -hmm. having that different label essentially Mm -hmm. made you feel like, that, that's right. That suits me and that yes. makes me feel better about the way I'm feeling. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, for for me, my toxic positivity experience, as you touched on, was when my I would speak of the disconnect and the detachment I had with my mother. And that was a very conscious, thought out decision. I didn't just go, yeah, sweet. I'm never going to speak to my mum again. I don't even care. We all long for that relationship. I still to this day long for this relationship. And, you know, we don't, we're not prepared in life to grieve people that are still alive. And that is one of the most painful experiences I've had to do. And I've had to do that with my mother and my father they still exist in the world. They're still alive. And I think that raises a lot of people to jump on in and give me that little bit of advice, which is they're not around forever. You know, she loved you. She did her best. But I've always kind of likened that sentence to if you knew that I was in a domestic violent relationship, which I was, it was a form of DV, and that was a, a an ex-partner of mine. Would you recommend I go back to that household just because he tried his best and loved me? Absolutely not. And this, I think both of our situations are quite unique. I think both of the, our situations, nine times out of ten, these people are actually coming from lovely places. They're Always. coming from like a positive place, an intention that's pure. But what we're trying to educate and share with people is that Throwing positivity around when someone is trying to share a vulnerable hardship isn't always the the going to have the effect that you want it to, and that's yeah. what toxic positivity is. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit more about like our experiences and how it sort of made us feel. So for me personally, with my obviously, in case you're new here, my trauma is that I have cancer, um, and that you know that's been ongoing for four and a half, five years now, and I'm in the middle of probably the worst part of it. Like there's no light at the end of the tunnel at the minute. We're just <laughs> trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, how it affects me with that toxic positivity is that. The person wants to say, everybody wants to be toxic people because it's the only thing you can think to say. Someone says like, I have stage four cancer and you want to go, you'll get through it. You'll be fine. I know you can do it. It's all that kind of like, and then someone will say, oh, well, at least you have options. Someone I know didn't have options. It's that kind of like, oh, well, immunotherapy is better than chemo. So at least you don't have to do chemo. Mm -hmm. It's like all of those things that makes me feel like it minimizes how I'm feeling and my situation. Total total invalidation of what you're going through. It's like, it's not a like bad story Olympics. Like there's no competition (laughs) here. You know what I mean? Like 
every and I love this thing that Sarah Davidson, who's been a guest on this podcast, she said once, and I think she took the quote from somebody else, but that when you say to somebody like someone else is worse off than you, mm-hmm. that it you shouldn't say that because like you're still allowed to feel bad in your emotions. That's like saying when you feel good, you say, well, you can't feel good because someone else has something better than you. Yeah. You shouldn't do that with the opposite either. Yeah. So it's like obviously when someone like, you know, has a paper cut and they act like a quick, complete drama queen, we're not talking about that. Yeah. But it's just like with, you know, we say to there was a lot of things I think around COVID especially where it was like influencers who get on, I think it was Steph Claire Smith, she got on and she'd been in the Melbourne lockdown for a really long time and she had then finally gotten out, gone to the Northern Beaches and then went back to Melbourne and it was when they were like, hey, surprise, Northern Beaches in lockdown. Now anyone oh. that was there has to go back into lockdown. Oh. She got on social media. She was very upset. Yeah. And people were like, oh, you know, she's rich. She lives in this nice house. She shouldn't be allowed to complain. It's like she has she's been in lockdown for months on end. She she's goes out one time. Yeah. yeah. And it's not like it shouldn't be that everything is relative, like someone yeah. else has it worse off. And I mm. think that's sometimes what toxic positivity does make you feel like, well, I shouldn't be allowed to complain because somebody else does have it worse off. Exactly. And it just really minimises and that's really dangerous because then you are faking your own positivity and when it's not real, that is really dangerous. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it's when if you are to suppress that feeling or dismiss a feeling because someone else has it better or worse than you, then you're not really living your life authentically and you're not regulating the emotions that are coming up, which we know is really unhealthy. So, yeah, it's really important to validate not only your own emotions, despite what other people are going through, but others. And I think it's it'd be great if we dived into like the casual Yes. The casual. So everybody has major trauma. <laughs> Not everyone has been through the hardships that we are. I do want to ask you, though, when you obviously you've done a lot of work with your um, trauma, mm-hmm. but there would have been an earlier on point where you hadn't done all the work where you did feel like, did you ever feel the pressure to forgive your mum? Has that gotten to a point where you are supposed to, oh, maybe I am supposed to forgive her and let it go and not, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I think there was definitely stages of grief. So the first step that I had to take when disconnecting from my mother was the fact that I accepted what she did and forgave her and said, I will just love you from afar because we had made the reconnection after I'd, you know, left the house that I was living in and I was taken in from an, by another family in my 12th year of school, in my last year of school. And when I was 18, I kind of reached out to her and said, you know, how are you, et cetera. And I'm, I'm in a, I, I let her know I'm in a better place now. Like, would you like to catch up? So there were multiple attempts from 18 through to 21 where I was trying to reconnect with her. I actually even like invited her to my wedding with Clay um, wow. my, and um, I was, you know, just trying to make peace. And I, I, I didn't hold, I, I feel like I've dealt more with my anger in like the last five years. Like the, I think there's a reckoning when you become a mother and you understand <laughs> a little bit more of like how hard it is, but the fact that you always choose to never, ever do anything abusive to your kids. Like, it's just like, okay, I understand this motherhood stuff a lot more now. And it's actually made me enraged at how I was treated. Whereas before I was like, I know I'm, yeah, I had suppressed anger. So the anger came out later, but before that was like, I forgive her. I just want a mother in my life. Like I, I would want, I want that more than anything. Like I would cut off my arm to have a mother. And so I did everything and tried really hard and I was seeking therapy to see how I could connect with her and trying to kind of diagnose my mother through conversations with my therapist because my mother would never in a million years go to a therapist because there was nothing wrong with her. Um, So we kind of concluded that she may have BPD, which is borderline personality disorder, which is a borderline of schizophrenia and bipolar. Okay. So a lot there and a lot of unresolved trauma as, I, as I've spoken about. But I guess there was the times that I would try and visit her and from 18 through to 21 that I was being abused as an adult and I then was revisiting the trauma of being a child. Wow. And there came a line and it was actually the reflection of, of Clay, the mirror of Clay, the, the love Rebbe's of my husband. life, looking at me and going, you are breaking, you are broken every time you see this woman, you are seeing a therapist again and again, you are literally killing yourself. And you're going back to square one for all the work that you were doing. And he was like, what are you doing? What do you want? 
And I was just like, I just want her. I just, I just want to be mothered. And he was like, yeah. And I, I had to ask myself, like, what does being mothered actually mean? Yeah. And so, as I said, like, this was not a, oh, I'm just going to cut her off moment. Yeah. This was an excruciatingly painful you know, process over years. And then so I made the decision to grieve her and then um, I spent – I still grieve her every, most weeks. I still have, like, grief that I have to process because she is not, not there. And that's – I think also having your own kids as well, as you said, brought up a lot, but then it also would have brought up that whole, like, there's no grandmother in the picture here for my girls as well. And so it's like there's so many things that – the motherhood stuff would have brought up for you when you had your own little gorgeous yeah, girls. Yeah. So then, yeah, then the anger came. And I think <laughs> that's really healthy. And it's really important to note that I was totally warranted to be furious. Of course. <laughs> um, so I've had to, you know, get into boxing and whatnot, <laughs> scream into a pillow. I think that, that also something that is important to note as well and that you have spoken about before is that there are no like good and bad emotions. Mm. And we so often want to put things on like anger is a bad emotion and mm. joy is a good emotion and that we're trying to constantly file things in these very specific areas. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that I think that for me, especially with my journey and dealing with all of this, whether it's like a breakup with a boyfriend or it's cancer or whatever it is, you do need to, and I have like a guest later today is a therapist friend of mine and she often is like checking in on me being like, how are you going? And my whole policy is, is that like you have to feel it, process it and then you can move past it and let it go in whatever form that looks like but you have to feel the emotions first and that's unfortunately an yeah <laughs> yeah yeah I think it's really important to um acknowledge that some feelings are uncomfortable and if we don't acknowledge them they are just going to come out yeah with you projecting it to probably the wrong person. And that's why toxic positivity is so dangerous because mm -hmm. it means that you're missing that stage of feeling the emotion mm -hmm. because you're pretending that everything's fine yeah. and you don't feel that. So yeah. let's talk more about that, as you said, the like commonplace toxic yeah. positivity things. And just on that, before yeah. you get into that, how you were talking about how dangerous toxic positivity is, if someone's sharing something with you, they're being vulnerable. They've actually worked up the courage to share that with you and then you are just killing it. You're literally cutting that bridge down and going, yeah, no, don't talk about that because look at this. And and, and that's an opportunity of connection missed, which is why, again, it's so dangerous to do. Exactly. Yeah, um, so casual. Casual place. <laughs> what are okay. some casual place toxic positivities that you've experienced, Rev? I think... The first one I'm going to mention and the one that I think I've done so many times and I want to preface as well that I still say and do things that could be labelled as toxic positivity. I think that we all do. Yeah, like it's it's something that I'm trying to be better at but I think, yeah, and I have been practising it but um, I still catch myself. And so the first thing I want to say is when I think because everyone could relate to this, when you get home from work and your roommate's there or, you know, you're speaking to a mate on the phone and you're like, I've had such a shit day. Like, I just, I've had it. And they go, oh, well, you, you know, at least you've got, you know, your job and, oh, I've had, I've had a really shit day actually. Like, and they just completely deflect the fact that you've just had a really horrible day. Yeah. Like everyone goes through that and it's like, instead of giving them an opportunity to unpack it and say, oh, what, you know, what happened? Do you want to share something with me? It's just like, just stabbing it and being like, no, nah, not allowed to have that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The one that I experience a lot is the, from mothers, where it's like, I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm bloody wrecked. Oh. And then, you don't know what tiredness is until you've had a child. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I've like, been on both okay, sides of that. I also haven't slept, but apparently it's just not the same. Like, and I get that it would be a little bit different, but it's also like, other people can still be tired without having had children. 100%. And it's all conditioning. Like, you know, when you become a mother, it's like you have, you have to go through sleepless nights and then you, yes, you are tired, but if you have not gone through that, then you're threshold. Yes. It's so different. Yeah, exactly. Another thing I think is that when like a girl, like a guy's ghosting them or she breaks up with a boyfriend she's just been dating recently and it's like, oh, well, you know, it's probably best because he was a loser anyway. Or like, you know, yeah. that kind of like, he doesn't deserve you. That kind of like really like minimizing. It's like, oh, don't even worry. He wasn't even worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think like the common toxic positivity is like you can get through this, you'll get through it. 
Yeah. It's like just jumping to the when you're fine, when you're not fine currently. Yeah, like, exactly. Okay, well, I get yeah, a lot but- of the, um, I have a feeling everything's going to be fine. Oh. <laughs> so, oh, <laughs> that's nice. Can I tell my cancer that <laughs> this random person on the internet thinks they have a feeling? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no. I, I think, I think a, an important thing to note um, as well is that, well, going back to your one about being tired and coming from mothers, it's actually really common amongst mums like that we kind of compare our stories. And I think social media has really created that environment where it's made it mum shaming. Yeah. Like so the, commonplace the mum guilt now. is, yeah. And I think that's the thing. It's a, it's a, it's a shame. Like it's when you are telling someone that, that someone else has it worse, you're kind of shaming them into thinking that they shouldn't have said that in the first place and like yeah. hide that feeling. Yeah, exactly. And it promotes and encourages that filtered uh, everything's fine scenario, which is totally not even, you know, real life. Exactly. And then the same person that's like, I, I remember being sa- like saying something like, um, oh, you know, I, I'm so tired. I'm going through such a tough time with a newborn. And then someone saying, you know, well, I've just had a miscarriage or something like that and I've just gone, holy shit, I'm so sorry. But then on the other side of that, moving forward, I get told I wasn't sharing enough of the raw moments and I was like kind of parading or putting it out there that it was Glamorizing, easy. yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to share because I'm shunned either way. I think sharing anything about your kids and parenting and stuff online would be so incredibly hard. Like I see some of the stuff that Emily Sky deals with, mm. with people that, you know, put their choices around what they want to do with their kids and like how they let their kids play and how they let their children eat and the hours that their kids have or the clothes that their kids are wearing or the choices that they're making. And it's just like, you cannot please everybody. Yeah. Everyone's going to say something that you're doing is wrong or right. And it's just a minefield for influencers, yeah. I think. And like, it would be the same with like just groups of mother friends. You know what I mean? It's obviously a smaller scale because you're getting, you know, just five friends in a group. Whereas mm. like if you're doing it on the internet, it's thousands of people telling you what you're doing right and wrong. Yeah. But I think, yeah, so many mums would, all of my friends who have kids experience the thing of other mums kind of being like, oh, well, my daughter was already walking at that age or, mm. you know, that kind of like, Something that you're doing is wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's a horrible body. I can't even imagine the whole <laughs> other thing. But yeah, that. I think it's important to note that because yeah. it's like it's just a whole new category um, that you have to enter, unfortunately. And I think it's important for mums to think about what they're what they're saying and how they're how they're receiving information from someone that could have taken a lot of courage to share in the first place. So, what is the way that you think? Let, let's flip it and be like, if somebody is telling you a vulnerable story, mm-hmm. what is what a way not say? to be, what is healthy, you know what I mean? Like what is yeah. a way that you should be responding to someone that's trying to tell you something that isn't going that great? Yeah. So I think we need to start with the acknowledgement and validation of how someone's feeling. Like we need to start there. We need to validate how they're feeling because I can't tell how you're feeling right now. I can't, and you can't tell how I'm feeling. So it's just listening, like listen. Yes. I think that's a, that's a forgotten about skill from a lot of people are just like not listening. So validation and holding space for that person, instead of saying, you'll get over this, you can say, I can understand and this is really painful for you right now. Um, Can I, is there anything I can do right now that's going to alleviate some of the pain or would you like me just to sit here and just sit with you? Like holding space is such a skill and it's it's actually so interesting because I've got two daughters, right? Lexi is very much like myself emotionally and Lola, the little one, is very much like Clay. Clay can be a little bit old school with his feelings and he, you know, is a very, like, he's a very resilient, just keep going kind of guy. Whereas I, like, sit in all my <laughs> shit. Like, it's a, it's a skill. And I've noticed that Lexi, for example, if I'm upset or if I'm, or if Lola's going through something, she puts a hand on your shoulder and she just is there. She doesn't tell you, oh, it's, it's gonna like, it's all right. Don't worry about it. It's all right. Get over it. Come on, get up. She just sits there and puts her hand and it's such a skill. And I'm like, you're five. You have that skill. And Lola, she like kind of gives you a quick kiss, like, and then like, just like runs off like, yeah, I don't want to deal with it. (laughs) And it's so like, it's kind of like that you, 
you have that in you, like whether you find that discomfort is there or not. Yeah. But it is like a learned behaviour too. Yeah. I think everyone can learn to hold space. I think so. I think also you definitely as well how you are taught when you are young, like my parents, my mum's British. So there's that very kind of like sweep it under the rug kind of mentality of mm. like emotions. And my dad's like typical Aussie bloke. So yes. there wasn't like a whole lot of let's sit down and discuss our feelings around mm. the dinner table kind of thing. It was very much like get up and get on with it and you'll be right. Don't you'll worry right. about it. Yeah, that you'll kind of. You'll be right of, is just like. Aussie's so favourite. <laughs> exactly. It was a lot of that kind of thing. And so I am doing that sort of unpacking of mm. that. And it does make me feel like I'm being a whinger or I'm being a drama queen because I'm trying I to have like... I too. It's really yeah. hard. What's something that you have found is more productive and effective than toxic positivity? Well, my friend too, whenever I'm like, ah, oh, more test results that came back bad. Mm. For me, one of my, like my friends who I think deals, helps me supports me in the best way I think she's always like oh my god that is so shit mm-hmm. I'm so sorry what can I do to support you it's always that just acknowledgement of like oh god yeah like that's so shit Courtney I'm so sorry like yeah. all right what can I do to help like you know and suggesting things that mm-hmm. kind of stuff it's just like that acknowledgement of rather when you know for example when I found out that um I had to go through fertility treatment before I started my cancer treatment last year Mm -hmm. in order to, um, because they thought that the treatment could damage my fertility. Sure. And so I had to put my cancer treatment on pause, which was a whole like mental shit fire to begin with, because it's like, am I killing myself to get these eggs? What am I doing? Um, And I went through them like this, this shit they put you on, all the medication, the needles and all that kind of stuff. And then after like a few weeks, they were like, ugh, there's not much going on here. You're not actually very fertile at all. And I was just like, got off the phone to my doctor and I was just like to my friend, like, oh my God, like, what the hell? They're saying that they think I'm going to go into early menopause and I'm fucking 33 years old. Like, what the fuck? And her response was, oh, at least you don't have to have your period anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> no that's not- and I know that was coming but from- But you know what menopause is? <laughs> I've just put cancer treatment on hold for this fucked up situation and now they're telling me it could be pointless. Mm. And now also I'm 33, you're telling me I might be going to menopause soon? What the fuck? Can my body hate me anymore? Like honestly, and then she's like, oh, no periods, great. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, my "Ah." God. I think, you know, and I think this is why this conversation is important to have because people just don't know. They're ill-prepared to hold space, we as, um, you know, as we're growing up, most of us have been raised by people who of their generation, that's all they knew. Good vibes only. Like, you know, that whole situation of like, she'll be right. So we're the generation now. And I I can see this, like I can see it on TikTok and like, this is like 15 year olds talking about how they feel. And I'm like, fuck yeah, this is exciting. <laughs> like they fully know so much more and there's they're so emotionally in touch compared to us. So I think for us in like our late 20s to 30s and 40s, for those people listening, like I think we just have to make it our responsibility more to kind of unlearn yeah. that sweep it under the rug mentality. And I think what I want to touch on as well, because there are people here who are going to resist this conversation. Mm. My mother's going, but it's better to be positive than negative. You know what I mean? Like I know, and I'm feeling it too, because I resisted as well. I've been conditioned to think this as well. Society teaches us this stuff. And so I think it's important to highlight the difference between toxic positivity and an optimist. You can still be a positive, optimistic person Mm -hmm. without having toxic positivity. I want to do talk about something that um, someone who I follow on Instagram, I think she's called the optimist therapist or the optimist doctor, um, Dr. Deepika Chopra. She says, most people think that optimism is about being positive and seeing the glass half full all the time. But in reality, a true optimist is someone who recognizes that less than ideal situations happen in life, yet they see them as temporary and something they have the 
ability to overcome even if they don't know how to do that yet. The number one trait of an optimist is resilience or the ability to work through perseverance and struggle with holding space for painful emotions like grief, anger, frustration, mourning, anxiety, and stress. It's about allowing yourself to authentically feel those feelings and where they come from while staying hopeful and knowing that it's not permanent. And I think that that's where we need to kind of think about there being like a big difference because there's, you know, there's obviously people who can be depressed or really negative that are just, they can't see the light at the end of the tunnel. They're bogged down. This is how they think they're going to feel forever. Mm -hmm. Then there are the people who are like, everything's sunshine and rainbows when it's not and they're not acknowledging anything and they're probably going to crash and burn at some point because they're just suppressing everything. But then there are the optimists who are like, this is shit what's happening to me. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset, but I know that I'm going to work through it and we're going to get through to like the light at the end of the tunnel. And so I just wanted to kind of recognize that this isn't about us talking about like, oh, we should be allowed to be negative as much as we want. You know what I mean? Like that's not what this conversation is, but people should be allowed to have moments where they can show their true emotions and you shouldn't devalue them or downplay them and invalidate them. Just sit there and listen to them and be there for them to help them get through that. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily like a negative person. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree and love that definition. Yeah, it's recognition, right? And like I think one of the biggest tools I've used to transform my life and completely, you know, flip it around is gratitude. Yeah, that's what I always talk about as well. Yeah, like it's one of the biggest tools I've, I've had to lean on and I am such a grateful person and but it also means like it's not it's not a void it's like I am grateful and I have had a terrible upbringing yes I am grateful and I wish I had parents that did their job yeah exactly <laughs> you know so it's not the fact that I'm only grateful though it's acknowledging that there is heartache and hardship and feelings that hurt and I can choose to be positive about it too Exactly. All right. I've got some campfire questions for you, which is the questions from the listeners. All right. I want to know. How to to be supportive to someone who is constantly negative for years so you start to become toxic because they're getting to you? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. I think it's really important to understand that there's healthy boundaries that need to be in place when someone is constantly not, you know, if they're constantly talking about something negative and then choosing not to do anything about it, despite the fact that you have acknowledged their feelings and have supported them through a difficult time in their lives, but they're re-choosing to enter that path that create those problems and those negative impacts on their life, then it, it may be time to have a really raw conversation with them, yep. which is very difficult to do. But if you want to grow with someone and to Uh, sustain a friendship or relationship it requires those difficult conversations and I think it's really important to kind of you know lay it all out with them and say like this is what I'm hearing and then this is what you're choosing and we've recognized that these things are having a negative impact on you are you ready to have change in your life and if you're not then I'm going to have to set a boundary because I can see within myself that it's really bringing me down And I'm willing to give you time and I'm willing to give you space and I'm willing to support you through that. But if you're not willing to make those changes, then I might not be able to be as present and as involved in this relationship as I have been I literally had that exact conversation with one of my friends last year. She had been going through a relationship that she was unhappy in for some Mm -hmm. time and I had been there for her for years, hearing mm-hmm. about it and being, you know, you want to be the friend who doesn't say anything bad in case they can stay together and you, you know what I mean, like all that <laughs> oh stuff. And then, then it was no like, idea. okay, now I need to make sure that she knows that she, like I can help her through it. If she does want to make this decision, then years later it's like, now I want to give her a little bit of a push, a little bit more, like yeah. what, what do we need to do to help me make this happen? Or, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. And then it got to the point where I'm dealing with my own cancer stuff that I had to say to her like, I know that you need support in this, but I've been here for a lot and you're not making any changes yeah. and I'm sorry, but I have to put the boundary up because it's starting to impact me now. Yes. And so it's just, it's these conversations are fucking shit. They're really but shit. But you have to do them for your long-term mental health. Mm-hmm. And in the end, she ended up did you know, splitting up with her boyfriend and it was great. Nice. I was good. there as much as I could <laughs> yeah. before that. But, you know. Sometimes it, it doesn't end like yeah, that. Yeah, and we're still really close friends mm-hmm. and that's great. But if we hadn't had that conversation, I think it would have ended up in me being very resentful and angry towards her and yeah. it probably ending quite badly. Absolutely. So I think it's important to 
just be honest with how you're feeling. And sometimes people need that wake up call to go like, oh, I have been talking about this for five years. Yeah. It's having that self-awareness. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Our next question. How do you take time for yourself when you're having a hard day and perhaps have anxiety when you have kids? Yeah. I have no advice on this one. (laughs) Uh, It is really hard. I think, uh, you know, when you become a mother, there is that that window or that, uh, I guess, the first three months where the child, the baby is completely dependent, like living, breathing on you and you are the they're everything. And that is such an overwhelming, overwhelming experience, something that I'd never could comprehend. And, you know, it's just so, it just consumes you. You're like, I, if I'm not around this thing for like five seconds, it's not going to be okay. Like it's completely dependent on you 24 seven. It's overwhelming. And so that first three, six, nine, 12 months is really, really hard to find those pockets of self-care and to prioritise yourself. And you have to advocate for yourself. You have to say to your partner, I need to reconnect with me. And in that time when they are newborns and, and little babies, those pockets of time are so little. It's like a shower by yourself. It's a drive to the shops by yourself. It's a date with a friend by yourself. It's coffee by yourself like do you become like super grateful for those little yeah, things as well like you were saying earlier driving in the car with the music on like I like the first like there was four years where all I heard was the wiggles or <laughs> Peppa Pig and I was just like Fuck, like I just want to listen to Beyonce and just <laughs> like be a single lady <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> put a ring on it like you know and I remember I remember those moments where they weren't in the car again for the first time and I was like Yes, like <laughs> this is who I am. I remember me. I'm fun. I was actually fun once. <laughs> and, you know, it's just those little pockets start to grow and then it's like learning to ride a bike again. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember, you know, just indulging on a weekend and getting a massage and it becomes more and more doable. And as someone who struggles with their self-worth and prioritising themselves, I can say that it is – something that I'm continually working on, but it does it does get easier and it feels good. It feels good to like your own company. It feels good to take care of yourself. I got a lot of questions about um, how to, at the time people were asking like, how do you stay positive? But I'd like to reframe it and say, how do we stay optimists? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you do that? How do you work on keeping your mindset strong? Yeah. So before, like I touched on before, gratitude is a huge one, but also like we've said throughout this whole, it's been a very common theme throughout this whole episode is the validation of how I am feeling. So I think that um, I kind of changed my mindset through some of the people I've interviewed on the podcast, like child therapists and psychologists. But instead of thinking like, how do I stay happy? How do I stay positive? How do I stay something? It's how do I regulate So it's about riding the wave. It's about knowing that no certain emotion is permanent. It's that it's going to come and it's going to go. So while, you know, that's really great for a negative emotion such as, like quote in quotes, negative emotion, such as sadness, grief, um, that it's only, uh, it's not permanent. So it's going to come and it's going to go. That's the same for joy and happiness. So we need to hop on that ride and and embrace it while it's there because it is only temporary. And I'm getting more used to the fact that life isn't about looking only forward to the happy moments. It's like it's a human experience and each one is a privilege. And the fact that I have the environment within my home to feel each emotion is a gift that I've created for our family. It's like, I need to cry and I need to go upstairs and fucking let this out. And like, yes, it's uncomfortable, but it's also really cathartic and therapeutic. And I just let it out. Release. The release is actually, you know, so helpful. Yeah. Um, As much as we like try to create aversions to it, try to numb it, avoid it, you know, run from it to actually release is is such an amazing feeling. So I think instead of having the mindset that I only want to stay positive, I only want to stay happy, it's like how do I regulate myself in a safe way? Because we're not robots and yeah. 
we're going to feel good and sometimes we're going to feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it is. It, this is life. Like nothing yeah. is perfect. We don't all live in like a cloud and sky and it's like all <laughs> rainbows and sun, sunshine. Yeah. But um, I think for me as well, it's definitely all about, I've said on this podcast before, communication with yourself and with those around you and being really clear about like what you need, what mm. you're feeling and recognizing emotions when I have them. Like even I remember I had like a phone call with my friends and I was like, I've been feeling joy lately really heightened and I was just even recognizing that that I was like I'm getting really excited over really little things what's happening here and even those feelings I was journaling on it to try and process like what's going on because it's not even just the bad days it's like hang on a second that's a really small thing and I got way over the top excited about it what's happening here you know and it's just about like processing what it is so then you can say figure out why you're experiencing it and just being in touch with your feelings mm. a bit more. And if it is something good, replicating it. Yeah. And if it's something that's, you know, you do feel bad, figuring out what the trigger was yeah. and why you felt that way and then processing through that as well. Yeah. I think it's just about like being in touch with yourself and I like recognising it. And you know what you just said just reminded me like when we suppress and numb out the negative quote-unquote feelings, the bad feelings, mm-hmm. we are – robbing ourselves of feeling in the first place so then it actually sabotages the joyful feelings as well because we've already numbed and it's already under the surface so not allowing ourselves to feel the hard feelings really impacts our ability to feel the good feelings so maybe through your regulation of feeling the negative feelings and releasing them happier in the other end yeah True. Hi, friend. (laughs) Look at us go. Um, All right, then. So Revy does these amazing cards, which she calls her wow cards. Mm. And they're just like, I guess, like these little nice affirmations that you flip over and every day you can say out loud to yourself and it makes you just feel like, yes, I'm going to take on the day and I feel good about it. But what I I love that everyone knows I love quotes and affirmations, all those things. But the thing I also love is that you do them for kids. Yes. And I had somebody ask me, um, how do I get my kids to do the the wow cards because they think it's silly? My daughter's 11 years old. So I guess she's getting to that like, I'm too cool, I haven't really navigated that yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing that you can do is to role model. It's like eating vegetables. Like if you don't eat vegetables, your kid's not going to and and you're almost a hypocrite if you're like just having, you know, not not – feeding yourself the rainbow, but then telling your kid to eat the rainbow. So, you know, through everything that we do, we try to, we just know that they're watching. And so I think encouraging yourself to get involved and and make it a, a, not like a her project, but an us project. Like it's like, yeah, involving them in in the growth and and understanding why. And and I guess like at the end of the day, I probably wouldn't push it, you know, if she, she might, come to a place where she really feels like she is seeking that guidance and that extra pat on the back and that bit of self-love and that's a that's an opportunity and then if she doesn't need it then she doesn't really want to. I think even though like because obviously with these cards the idea is that you say them out loud because it's like an Mm. affirmation out loud but I think even just if she's just reading it having her read it that's going to have an impact too because even as an adult sometimes you feel silly yourself being like Oh my God, I'm just yeah, saying totally. these things, you know, yeah. and so a kid, of course, is also going to feel that way. So yeah. I think that it's just about, you know, maybe even showing her Revy's page and see how Revy's cool and <laughs> she does it. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, you know, know about that. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, like it's that whole vibe of like lots of people are doing this and it's like, you know, yeah. it's a cool thing to do. Um, I love when you show that your daughters do it. It's just like the sweetest thing ever that they They're say. So yeah. And some of my friends have bought them from when I was talking about them. They were like, oh my God, my daughters love it. And they say it out loud. It's the sweetest Aww. thing. It's just so nice to see kids being like about positive reinforcement oh, all the time. Normalizing their emotions and yeah, yeah it's so, so sweet. Such a great They're usually always sold out, but like check Rebby's yeah. website to just see when they're available. <laughs> Stay tuned. Um, what is your favorite affirmation? Oh God, Courtney, <laughs> throw this on me. This is um, someone who asked this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess my favorite I don't really have, they're like asking how, how is, who's my favourite child? It really doesn't, it, it really, I guess. Today, what is like your favourite thing today? I am not defined by my past. I am defined by how I choose to lead my life. That's lovely. I love that. That do? Yes, that will do. <laughs> All right. So we're going to just finish with a couple of my segments and the segment I always And the main topic on is what is the one takeaway? We've talked about a lot of things here today. What is Mm. the one takeaway you want a listener to go away with if all they do is leave with one thing? 
Your feelings are valid. It's important to acknowledge them and it's important to have people around you acknowledge them. And if someone is consistently and constantly dismissing how you're feeling, it might be time to have a healthy boundary set. And I guess that every experience is, you know, it's your own, so you need to feel it. So I think that would encapsulate what we've spoken about today. And I think also I just want to remind everybody that we've talked a lot about other people giving you toxic positivity, but you also can be giving it to yourself and to fully be aware of how you speak to yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're being toxically positive to yourself, then that's something you also need to maybe listen to the tips and things that Mm -hmm. we've spoken about because yeah, how you speak to yourself really does matter. Yeah. This pod, this episode might have been something that might have, you know, rung a bell to you and it might've been like, actually I do this to myself. Yeah, And that's, you know, that's what happened when I learned about it. I actually started recognizing when I was doing it and trying to rush someone else's feelings. And I was like, oh, wait, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I don't like what happens to me. Yeah, so exactly. I probably shouldn't do it to other people. Yeah. Or even so. if you're doing it literally to me, I'm like, hang on, I'm rushing my own feelings. Mm. I'm minimizing my own feelings. Yeah. What am I doing here? Recognize feelings, feel them, get them out. Yeah. Get them out there. <laughs> All right, then. What gets you fired up, Revy? <sighs> gets me fired up. <laughs> you know what? You know, something that happens to me that doesn't happen in any other situation except when when this happens is watching someone take the stage, like an artist take the stage. Oh, okay, like a concert vibe. Yeah, but even if I'm watching like the Super Bowl on YouTube, like when Beyonce takes the stage, (laughs) there is like something that takes over my body and I just, it's almost like I want to cry. (laughs) I have exactly that. Oh, my God, are you joking? I literally have exactly that. I get like this like, oh, I I just feel so overwhelmed with like, Joy? Joy and pride, like this person, like... I've never heard anybody else say that before. And I always say that it's weird because I don't... I'm not, like, super emotional when it comes to sad things. Like, if I watch a sad movie, I don't often get upset. But if I watch, like football teams winning in movies, I get overcome with joy and that's when I get more emotional and concerts and people like come on stage or they sing my favourite song. I'm like, oh God, I'm going to cry. I'm so joyful. The dancing as well. Like I think that's a huge aspect of it for me. Like I just think they've worked so hard for this. Like this is it. This is their time and they're nailing it. Like I'm just so (laughs) overcome with joy for them. So that's probably what gets me really fired up, I would say. All right, next up I have a rapid fire question. We're both going to answer it. This is a, this is a, there's lots of segments. I love a segment. Best book you've ever read, Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown. Oh, I love Brene Brown. Isn't she just an angel on earth? She is. Like if I could have, if I could meet anyone, it would probably be her. But then I would just embarrass myself. So (laughs) (laughs) no, I always say Untamed by Glennon Doyle, which I feel like is just very similar to that Brene Brown vibe. Yes. That was a very pivotal book for me too, but yeah. Um, All right. What is your attitude of gratitude? (laughs) My family, my best friend, who's my husband. And my two little munchkins. Oh, I love that. All right, we're going to finish with the thought of the week. And today's quote comes from Kelly Brook. A fake smile may fool the crowd, but it never eases the pain. All right, well, thank you so much for dropping by today, Revy. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me, Courtney. Loved it. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) Bye. All right, well, that's all we have for today. If you loved this episode and want to hear more from Revy, you can follow her on Instagram at Revy Jane or you can check out her podcast, Empowered with Revy, on your favourite podcasting app. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I'll be back next week with a new app. But in the meantime, make sure you remember to protect the skin you're in. Follow me on Instagram at Courtney Mangan and at She Was The Fire. Subscribe and share. Bye.